all final year students are required to keep a project record. Excuse me? What is this? <laughs> Uh-oh. I don't know how to keep a project record. Bloody hell, are you from 1950? <laughs> well. I didn't know I had to do this. <laughs> Our uh, project start this week. So I've got my first meeting with my supervisor at some point during the week. Mm. But the time that he requested from us for the appointment is, uh, I'm in a lecture, so I can't make that one. Yeah. So thanks for that, Andy. Wicked. Cheers, Andy. Hope you're listening. <laughs> I get on really well with my supervisor, though. He's also my personal tutor. Mm. So I, oh, know him, I know him quite well. Good morning. You're listening to the Broodwork Podcast with Cameron and Tom. The podcast for coffee lovers and scientists. Or for anyone who just wants podcasts to throw on and learn something new. So what have you been drinking this week then, Tom? So I've been drinking two coffees recently. Um, one which is an older one that I've had before, but one which is a new one. So I was going past Spring Espresso recently and decided to pop in for a coffee because I needed to go to the music shop and it was close. So it is a Kenyan that I had called, let me see if I get this right... Tanon Godo AA. Square Mile always have the most awkward names because they yeah. use the actual like African, I know, African yeah. South American names. It's always a little bit awkward to pronounce. Yeah, it is. So it was really nice. I had it in a V60. I don't actually know if Spring offer any other options for pot robbers, but I had it in a V60 anyway. Um, and it was really nice. It had really, really bold tropical notes. Pineapple mostly. That was the main note that I got. Um, a bit of papaya as well. And then an interesting one that I picked up on was just like a hint of cloudy lemonade. That sounds really good. It was incredible. If I still had my 33 coffees book, I would give it five stars. What was the acidity like? Because I feel like the acidity would be like really bright. And... Oh yeah, it was like it was like eating a Granny Smith apple. Yeah. It was like the, the good kind of acidity. Yeah. I mean, as we both know, we're very third wave centric with our acidities yeah I re- i'm re- i'm really loving like a, just a good acidity when it when it makes you scrunch your face up a bit and go oh it's good yeah that's that, that's how you know you've got a good coffee <laughs> um and then i've also been drinking again that panama from darkwoods but of this course time i had it this time i had it in a uh flat white how was that yeah it worked surprisingly well because it's a slightly darker i think panama than previous panamas that i had so kind of darker grape notes as opposed to juicy currants. Mm. Um, I just think it lent itself really well to a single origin flat white. Because the only single origin flat white I've had was at Roost and it's that Colombian flat white. Mm. It's not normally something that I would jump at the opportunity of trying, to be honest. Just because I love my V60s and Aeropresses yeah. and Batch Brews so much, I don't go for flat whites or lattes or anything like that anymore. If I do, I will have a single origin one. Yeah, if I if I would, like I would definitely go single origin. Okay, yeah, so that's uh my coffees that I've been drinking. So how about you? At home I've been drinking the same as last week, but I did go to society and I tried my first coffee from Assembly Roasters. Mm. So I've been interested in Assembly for a while because their bags are just gorgeous. Yeah. I think Assembly and Bailey's coffee both just have such stunning bags. I'm just super interested in trying them. Yeah. I don't think I've actually managed to try Bailey's coffee yet, but I tried my first assembly coffee. Hmm. Which one was it? It was the Sawana from Ethiopia. Oh, I've not had that one. 
So it's a natural process. Nice. Because of this, it gives them really like bold, sweet notes that mm. you would come to expect from a natural process. Really strong on the cherry notes. It's almost like a cherry pie. Like it's really, really jammy and really sweet. Mm, that sounds incredible. It was brewed in an AeroPress, so it's got a slightly darker, more subtle um, malic acidity to it. Yeah. Whereas I, th- I think from the way I could taste it, I probably reckon that when it's brewed in V60, that malic acidity really shines through quite a bit stronger. So it's, it's more mm. apple and cherry, like an apple and cherry pie rather than just cherry with that slight subtleness. Yes. But it was it was really fun to like just explore that coffee cuz it's it, I really like trying new roasters. Yeah. And Assembly are a London-based roaster. Obviously the coffee scene in London is highly competitive, so to shine shine through out, outside of that. Yeah. You you're doing something right. Can't wait for summer. <laughs> yeah, too right. I don't really tend to buy square mile coffees. Yeah, is that just choice or just because you can't get them or? just because they're never there's all there's normally just other other sources yeah like society get triple co origin round hill on a frequent basis like they always have them three pretty much all the time mm. and then they've got assembly bailey's has been but yeah. they, they get like more smaller roasters in yeah. on a less frequent basis but at any one time they normally have like four or five different different coffees i'm kind of limited in um york because most of the cafes have like found their supplier and stick with them as their core supplier so i'm basically stuck with darkwoods uh north staff square mile origin and that is about it really you should definitely look into getting them delivered because a lot of a lot of roasters are starting to actually deliver now. Yeah. And it's works out to be quite cheap. Like I've seen a few that are free postage. Oh right, okay. And then if it is paying for postage, it is only like one or two pound. If you're wanting to like explore some different roasters, oh, yeah, you should definitely just look out look online because it's starting to become a bigger thing in the recent in the past like six months or so, I'd say. Yeah. Like a lot of roasters have started to start shipping out. Where did you get that um, taster box from? It was from a company called The Right Roast, ah, and I haven't it. heard anything since then. Ah, They brought out the London box, the Berlin box, and then they did a Barcelona one after. Yeah. I, I had the Berlin box, and I haven't seen anything since then, unfortunately. Hmm. Which kind of sucks, because it was a really good idea. Yeah. So now we've got coffee out of the way, Tom, I wanted to talk today about morning routines. Mm-hmm. So I think both of us are pretty reliant on our morning routines. I think we both believe in the fact that the morning routine, you get a good stable morning routine going and it just sets the precedent for the day ahead. Am I correct in saying that? I mean, if you didn't have a morning routine, I feel like, how do you plan and organize the rest of your day effectively? Because without going in, without waking up with the idea of this is what I'm doing today, I'm going to do X, Y, Z, you might as well not plan the rest of your day. If my morning routine goes well, my day's going to go well. Mm. But if my morning routine's interrupted, that's when I struggle for the rest of the day. Yeah. It has been difficult the past few weeks for me because I have really struggled to get back into my morning routine. I'm getting closer now. I think I can average about four or five days a week that I will stick to my morning routine. Yeah. I'm still struggling to get up on time to start that routine when I'm wanting to. Tell me about it. 
normally I want to be looking at getting awake at being awake at six o'clock and getting straight up and starting my routine. Mm. But I'm still only managing about seven at the moment, which is still imp- an improvement on a couple of weeks ago where it was I was getting up at eight o'clock, nine o'clock. Yeah, I'm, and then that was just horrible. I'm currently around nine, but I'm definitely want to bring that down. I got up the other day. It was um, what about seven o'clock that I got up, and mm. it was just amazing. I mean, I was absolutely destroyed in terms of how tired I was, but it felt amazing. Yeah, I re I just really like getting up early morning. It just it's so peaceful and quiet, and you can just relax without expecting. Because if if you wake up at eight o'clock, it's still relatively quiet. Mm. But you've got you've got the stress of oh I need to start working in like two hours. Yeah. Whereas if you wake up at six o'clock, you're like I've got like four hours before I should start working. Yeah. Before I really need to start working. So if you if you do your morning routine and then you've got two hours, I normally just start working straight away. Mm. But yeah, you've got that two hours and you can just relax and take the time to yourself. You don't have to rush or do anything. Yeah. Exactly. The the main focus of my morning routine is efficiency. I want to get I want to get everything that I need to do in in the morning knuckled out as fast as I can, but not rushing. It's like optimization. Like I've optimized yeah. my morning so that the things I want to focus on them in the morning, I've got plenty of time for. Mm. So I've 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 really been adapting my time around that these past few weeks. So I'll I'll just go through my morning routine quickly. Sure. So I wake up. At the moment, I'm tending to go on my phone, check the important stuff, check messages, and then I'll get up. But I'm trying to fix that for myself. I'm still working that around because I don't want to be checking my phone first thing. Mm. So when I'm actually out of bed, I will put my headphones in and throw on a bit of ambient music. Just get get myself in that chill mood that you like on a morning. Yeah. So I'll then go make my breakfast. I'm having porridge with chia seeds. Nice. It's just a good standard high breakfast. Fills you up and is relatively nutritious, especially with the chia seeds. So I'll then I'll make that. And then I make it a bit hotter than I need to make it. Like, yeah. it's still too hot. So I'll then go up and shower. Then come down and I will be eating my porridge as I'm like, getting dressed so i'll like shove a mouthful of porridge in and then like dry my hair and stuff because just because i don't care about breakfast like i eat it because you need to eat breakfast to be full for the rip to lunch satiate yourself but i don't really care about sitting there taking time to eat breakfast so yeah. i'll just shovel it in and be doing other stuff so i'll get dressed sort sort myself out my skin routine is quite involved i use quite a few products just think, to think christian bale get in, myself um, right <laughs> american psycho something yeah <laughs> <laughs> essentially so i'll apply that that takes a little bit of time but once i'm ready and stuff has sorted feeling good i'll then go make my coffee and this is where i start to slow down on the morning yeah so I'll start taking my time here and concentrating on what I'm doing because this is the part of the morning. Obviously, we run a podcast on coffee. (laughs) This is the part of the morning that I really care about. Yeah. So I'll probably take maybe 15 to 20 minutes to make my coffee, get my coffee right, and then set the atmosphere. So I use a glass cup for my coffee, but I'm looking at changing that. 
but I won't spoil that for you just yet. Oh, I'm intrigued now. I'm intrigued. But little, little, uh, little teaser for the future, perhaps. Oh. I use a glass cup so that because I think having a cup for yourself and for your coffee on a morning just it it makes a world of difference. So I have mugs for, for, that I use for my tea, but I have specific coffee cups because it just it's just nice. It's the same thing, and especially because these are glass. The ones I've got, you can really see the color and examine the color of the coffee and see the way the coffee behaves, like the body and stuff. Mm. So I'll sit down with my cup of coffee. I've started to light a candle on a morning just to get that like smell into the air, ready for the day. And then then I'll ask my Google Home. I'll get that to play the news. And then it'll go straight from the news. I've got a shortcut so that it goes straight from the news into just like um, ambient music again. So I'll start playing just some peaceful music. Olaf Ronalds, mm-hmm. Bonnie Iver. I've start. I've made a playlist now, so it actually like just is a mix of all these Novo Amor, Bonnie Iver, and Olaf Ronalds. And I've started to read a magazine on the morning. So I used to read just a book yeah but i've just really got into i think books were involved and i was stressing out getting through a book and it was just constantly reading and reading and it, with all the reading that i'm doing for uni nowadays i just felt like i was spending all my time just reading yeah i wasn't really enjoying reading books that much anymore i might circle around and i've got a lot of books to read but at the moment i've just been really enjoying just sitting and reading my magazines Mm-hmm. So I've subscribed to two magazines. The first is obviously Caffeine Mag, obviously. which <laughs> as a coffee snob, you kind of need to read. The second is Enki Magazine. So Enki, spelt E-N-K-I, I'll put the uh, link into the show notes, is a Scandinavian architecture magazine. So it's super minimal, loads of gorgeous photography, and just it's... It's mostly just pictures with just a slight description of writing. And then they have some interviews with the architects and stuff. And they just have case studies of certain houses and what the feel is. And it's just generally just a nice, peaceful magazine because it's all about Scandinavian architecture. Yeah, It's really just a laid back, chill out magazine. And I've been really, really enjoying reading that. So that's that's what I do on on a morning. Once I I'll probably spend an hour or an hour and a half while I drink my coffee, just chill out, and that's what I do on the morning. Mm-hmm. And then once I've once I've read a significant amount, I'll normally just get straight into work or go go to a lecture. Yeah, because that's when the hustle and bustle of the day starts. Mm. So I th- I think that's I think it's really important to have that slower morning routine oh, if you if you can manage it because it just it's one time it's one point in the morning to just relax and de-stress really before before the stress of the world just all falls in on yourself yeah that's very true okay so um regarding my morning routines quite similar i'd say in terms of i've already tried to adopt that slow living style and some of the things i do as well um i started doing this so i actually prepped my breakfast the night before because again, like you, I'm not particularly, it's not a very exciting meal. It's just, I've got to eat it. Yeah. So I make, I started making overnight oats and then I pop some honey on it just to give it, so it's just not plain oats. I'll 
usually have that. I'll put my phone down, just ignore anything going on, and then I'll make my coffee. Again, I like to spend time making my coffee because it's probably one of the most important leisure activities, I suppose you could look at it that way, Yeah. of my day, never mind just the morning. I'll make that, and again, like you, I've got my specific coffee cup that I use, um, which I recently acquired. It's the uh, really nice square mile coffee roaster mug. Yeah. Just looks nice. Um, so I'll make my coffee, and then I'll sit down at my desk. I've been using recently a really nice... I believe it is a sandalwood candle, which is a really nice smelling candle. And then I'll choose a record to stick on as well. I don't really go for any... I try to go for a kind of relaxed mood, but it's mostly whatever I'm feeling. Like, this morning I was listening to Rise Against, <laughs> which isn't yeah. exactly a uh, chilled out ambient sort of feel. No, not quite. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just... Put on some, just some music in the background, just because silence is a bit odd. And then I will pens really. Sometimes I'll catch up on some YouTube subscriptions, maybe like Matt Devella sort of stuff. Check my emails, do some personal projects for a half hour or so, maybe some music or something. Um, and then sometimes if I've got a magazine to read, I'll read that. Like I've recently been reading, um, because I've got a subscription to Mountain Bike Rider. Yeah. So I'll maybe read a bit of that and. Yeah, I'll do that until about... Well, ideally, I would get up at about half seven and do that until about ten and then work. Yeah. Hypothetically. <laughs> um, whether that actually happens, like, I'm willing to bump things around depending on what time I actually get up. and Because I'm lucky that my, my earliest lecture is at half one. So I've got the time to kind of be flexible with that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think, obviously, there's some days which you can't, you just simply can't stick to your morning routine oh yeah absolutely and i think being able to still have part of your routine established so that if you if you if you do fall into the point at which that you can't can't do your full routine yeah i think it's still important to have elements of it oh, yeah. in there so that it's still still like is the morning thing that sets the alarms off in your brain mm -hmm. that like okay i've done my morning routine now i can start work yeah what I do is, um, it's I learned it from some ex-military guy on Reddit, of all places, uh, but he said the first thing you should do is, and it's what I do every day, just like a little thing, is make your bed. Straight away, as soon as you get up, make your bed, and that way, it's one little thing to tick off on your to-do list. I'm laughing because one thing, the, <laughs> you just interrupted me, but I was literally just about to say... One thing that I forgot to mention was as soon as I get out of bed, I make my bed. Brilliant. Because <laughs> it's the first thing. Oh, that's brilliant. It's the first thing that just sets sets your day right. Oh, yeah. And I, I also find that just having a nicely made bed is... Just, yeah, it looks nice. It's, yeah, it's just nicer. Helps sell the ambience in the room. Yeah. And another thing that I also forgot to mention was now that I have two desks because I'm, I'm that kind of person. <laughs> I have two desks in my uni room now. I have one desk that has my computer screens on it. I do not sit at that desk. Standing desk. I sit at my other desk that is behind me that's facing my window. So I'm getting that natural light in first thing in the morning as well. Mm. As the sun's rising, slowly getting that natural light in through the through the window. It's again, it's just about setting the right atmosphere for just relaxing and chilling out before before the world just throws everything at you because third year is is hectic yeah it's definitely. it's stressful you've got to take that time on the morning to just prepare yourself really 
Okay, um, so papers, this is one that I was looking at in my seminar, and it was a study investigating how effective working memory training is after suffering from a stroke, which is fairly interesting, published in 2007. Um, so yeah, it was essentially just using a small group of participants with strokes. So there's this big debate at the moment in cognitive psychology about brain training. You know the sort of thing, Dr. Kaushima's brain training, Cogmed, all those yeah. kinds of things. There's a huge push against these at the moment uh, in terms of on a theoretical level. Because time and time again it's been proven or suggested that these sorts of things just simply... All they do is improve performance on the tasks involved in the brain training. They don't help you at all. And things such as one of the big brain training ones, I think they actually got sued um, because of the false promises that they were putting out. Yeah. But yeah, there's it's a big divide between what the literature is saying, which is these things are not effective in terms of overall mental capacity and performance. You're only going to get better at the tasks you're being tested on. But there's also the side note for this is that on the clinical level, the people who are seeing these techniques being used every day and using them to help treatment, these people are saying these techniques are super effective. I've been seeing in my patients massive improvements in general working memory. So it's this big divide between, well, we can just go for the fully theoretical route of this is what the literature says, so it must not be effective then you've kind of got to take into account as well of, well, on a practical level, it's obviously working because the clinicians are using it. So it's just really interesting, hotly debated topic. And it's been covered on, um, I think, you know, that BBC program, Bango's the Theory. Yeah. They covered uh, brain training and they found that it was no more effective than a group who effectively went on the internet for three weeks. Yeah, coming from a personal perspective, I've tried a few of these apps because mm. I think... I tried to work it into my routine on the morning. Yeah. Just a quick five minute just session in these brain training apps. I thought might help to get my brain engaged a little bit more in the morning. And just coming from a personal perspective, I, I didn't find they helped that yeah. much. And you're not alone. You're not alone. So yeah. as far as this actual investigation goes, they were using a group of participants who had suffered from stroke. They had also, from these participants, uh, half of them were assigned to a control condition. So they had them go about doing a few different tasks. Not all of them were necessarily related to working memory, which is quite interesting to look at. So we had the ones that were related to working memory were things like digit spam and spam board, which are things such as remembering digits in sequential order um and you might have heard of like the corsi block tasks which is yeah. the squares light up and you've got to press them in the right order or press them in mm -hmm. reverse order which i found out yesterday i'm terrible at um <laughs> it's something cool to know um but they also had tests not necessarily related to working memory so things like stroop tests which is obviously where you see the color see the word red colored in yellow ink I'm so bad at them. And you've got to say the... So thought. bad at them. Yeah. Not necessarily related to working memory. That's more attention. And then they also had Raven's progressive matrices, which is actually a form of... Uh, I think it's fluid intelligence. 
So in Raven's matrices, you're shown a bunch of kind of images or patterns, and they've got a hidden pattern between them, like in terms of how they progress from one picture to the next. And you've got to work out what that pattern is and find the next picture. And these get progressively harder. It's usually used as part of a wider battery of tests, such as the Wexler uh, intelligence scales. What they essentially found from doing this was that working memory improved on these tasks that they got them to do, essentially. But only on these tasks that were testing working memory. So they can kind of say in their conclusion that essentially, yeah, our computerized working memory tasks, brain training tasks, do help with stroke victims. However, uh, they're very careful in not pointing out that they only improved on the tasks that were being tested on. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just practice. Yeah, really, exa- isn't exactly. It? It's just improving. That, that is all it is. Yeah, it's just the same with any task, that if you practice it, you're going to get better. That is precisely what it is. And there's a bunch of other issues with this paper as well, such as there was a bit of a delay in between when they first did the pre-tests and when they actually tested them. So you've got to think how much of that is due to natural healing, essentially. Mm. It was something like a six-week gap, which is a pretty significant gap in terms of self-recovery from a stroke. Yeah, definitely. And also bearing in mind that... They were in a stroke centre, so they'll be getting treatment on top of that. Yeah, it sounds like there's quite a few confounding variables in that as well. It's not necessarily confounding variable in terms of this, because it didn't appear to have an effect. It's just a potentially problematic issue, I suppose is a nice way of saying it. So yeah, that's uh, my eventful week in the world of cognitive psychology. So what have you been looking at? So in contrast to what I was researching last week, which was long QT syndrome yeah. arrhythmias. I've been looking at short QT syndrome Ooh. arrhythmias. <laughs> Way to mix it up. So this one's actually quite a bit more interesting because short QT syndrome has only recently been discovered in 2000, hmm. in the year 2000. And since 2000 and the year that the paper I've been looking at was published, the review, which was 2005, so in a five-year span, only 15 patients were reported with it. So it's, it is an extremely rare Yeah, that is... Rare condition. You can't exactly get a large um, sample size. <laughs> no, it's it was discovered after a bunch of research was done into sudden cardiac death where mm. no abnormalities were seen. So there's a bunch of heart attacks that were occurring and there was no apparent reason for it. And it was found that some of these cases might be due to this short QT syndrome. It results in a gain of function of a similar channel to what I was talking about yesterday, uh, yesterday last week, yeah, <laughs> which was the uh, IKR channel responsible for the repolarization of the cardiac myocytes. But because it's a gain in function, you're getting a faster repolarization, whereas with long QT syndrome, you're getting a slower repolarization. Yeah. So the the actual ECG trace that comes out of it is you you're just you display with a shorter QT period, which is often less than three hundred and twenty milliseconds okay. or less than eighty percent of the natural the natural rhythm. You also have a shorter ST period, which means the time between the main ventricular uh, depolarization and the actual repolarization is also a lot shorter, which 
can cause some like quite significant uh, arrhythmias. So as well as these short QT, short ST uh, periods, you also have very tall and narrow T waves. And this is really significant for reasons which I'll explain in a second. So this this QT period is what normally shortens during exercise, and that's what allows the heart rate to be faster. Yeah. It's normally this QT period that gets shortened. But because it's already short, it means that people don't have this ability to adapt during exercise. So it means that when they're exercising, it can become really, really dangerous and they can be really at high risk of uh, arrhythmic events such as atrial fibrillation and ventricular fibrillation. Yeah. So because of this high risk, a lot of people end up getting an ICD or implantable cardioverter defibrillator. So this is basically just an implant into the chest which can sense the rhythm of the heart and they basically just apply the defib shock but internally and automatically when abnormalities are detected. Yeah. But the problem with using this is because of these tall and narrow T waves as well as the short ST period, yeah. you end up getting inappropriate shocks because they're sensing this T wave as another QRS complex, which is the depolarization of the uh, ventric ventricles. So because of these because it's sense inappropriately sensing these T waves as QRS complexes, it thinks your heart has gone into ventricular fibrillation. Okay. Whereas you might not have. And so it will apply an inappropriate shock. So there's quite a few people getting inappropriate defibrillations, which obviously isn't good. <laughs> Another problem we have with it is because it's such a rare condition, it's not been particularly easy to find drugs that work. Yeah. Most of the antiarrhythmic drugs which would work by prolonging this QT period aren't actually successful because it's a different mechanism. Uh, it's this gain of function which isn't working in the same way. So a lot of the drugs that we've found for that would we would assume to work aren't actually working. So it's it's quite an interesting story, and it's it's a very new condition that we're still discovering new things about. So it's really fascinating to learn about that. Learn learn about like being on the forefront of science. It's, it's kind of cool to learn about that kind of thing. So I think we will end it there for today. That's been an interesting look at short QT syndrome and also cognitive brain training. Yeah, and we've had a look into the coffees we've been drinking this week, as well as our morning routines. And as per usual, everything will be in the show notes if you want to know about the papers or magazines we've been looking at, along with our Twitter at Brood for Work. Be sure to subscribe on your podcast service of choice, and we'll see you next week.